talks about the idea of shopping. And the point that he makes in this article, and, and Marty, this is where I want you to, to drop in here, is the idea that, that shopping is, is really something that Americans do because we have a, a consumer, uh, consumerism is, is dominates our culture in the U.S. Um, shopping is really an act of entertainment. It's an activity. It's a thing to do. It's like, um, what are you going to do today? Well, I could go hiking or I could go shopping. And shopping is just part of our culture. And the idea that I position this against in our industry is how, you know, and this, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, that, that as independent agents, we are not interested in shoppers, right? I don't want price shoppers. I don't want shoppers. I want people who want to do business with me. First of all, I think that's a very egocentric way of running an agency and selling. Um, second, I think it completely conflicts with the culture of uh, the American consumer. And I think it's a big opportunity. It's a huge opportunity for our industry and for the agents who are progressive-minded and, and open-minded enough to look at shoppers as an opportunity. Um, I, I think there's a lot there. Marty, I want, I want you to take over here. What, what, you know, what are you thinking on this idea and, and what kind of advice can you give to people here? Because I, I think this is a huge psychological thing that we can tap into in 2016. Sure. As you are aware, Ryan, I, I have a number of outside interests and those interests are, are sort of offbeat enough that shopping for me isn't sort of mass market shopping. You know, in many instances, you could go to your local department store, and if you need a, um, a new sweater, you have many, many options, lots of colors. Now, I know some people in their fashion shopping, maybe they're um, – loyal to a specific brand and so maybe it's a little harder to find a designer sweater you know the exact one you're looking for but when i shop to part of the 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 fun is discovering something that's available very limited and so many times i'm buying because i know that if i don't buy it now it's not going to be there the next time i go back to the exact same retailer okay so, um, so that's, that's one perspective of shopping. Other people shop because we get a charge out of it, right? You're going to be better if you buy something. Well, you and I have talked about what we call the new normal on a, on a number of occasions. And I'm a firm believer that due to the, you know, the, the recent, severe recession and, and the fact that we're still trying to find our way out of it. You know, statistics tell us that the economy is doing fairly well, but that's not reflected in, in many Americans' perception. And so I believe that we're in, that one of the new normal behaviors is the fact that we want to get a deal on everything. There is far less conspicuous consumption. That's a fancy economic term, which means I'm buying something like a Rolex watch um, because I want you to know that I'm cool and I've got a Rolex watch, right? I believe there's less of that going on because everybody sort of had to take a deep breath. They had to take a step back and they had to sort of trim their expectations because of what we've gone through over the last six, eight years. And so I think in the insurance 
world, we are sort of living on borrowed time if we believe that somehow our customers are immune to that behavior. They want to shop and get a good deal on everything else, but for insurance, they'll, they're willing to follow our judgment and they'll pay premium dollars. So that shopping behavior is, is widespread. It is, it, I mean, it, there are sites that talk about like coupon clipping and where people boast about the great deals they're getting. This is one of the things that I think is interesting is every, every independent agent sees themselves as like the platinum option for buying insurance, right? The, the red carpet, you know, you know, make it rain option of insurance. That's the way they see themselves is you're getting advice and guidance and coverage and advocacy and options and all these things and whatever, whether that's true or not. But in many instances, that is true, right? Yeah, we, I, I'm we not provide saying it's not true. Service. I know. I'm not saying it's not true. I, what I'm saying is this is the way they see themselves, and that's completely fine. But what I think where the disconnect is and why I think this is such an important concept is that that can be true. That can absolutely be true. And, but that doesn't mean people aren't still going to shop you, right? So, like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to when I bought my wife her engagement ring, right? Very expensive important decision. I want to work with someone who I can trust, who is going to be knowledgeable, who's going to have options, who's going to have experience, all the things that you would also look for in an independent insurance agency, looking for in your jeweler, right? You're spending a lot of money usually on an engagement ring. And you're also scared out of your mind because it's a huge decision. It's a huge thing. So you want to be comfortable with the person. I mean, all the same things you want in an independent insurance agency, you want in your jeweler. I would be a moron if I only went and saw one jeweler. I would be a moron because what if that guy, though he's a platinum version of everything, has a 2% markup on his jewelry and not a 1% markup, which is probably a 17% markup instead of a 16% markup. And that's just what he charges and what he views his product is worth. Uh, we'll say something more reasonable, like an 8% markup, right? But the guy down the street has a very similar thing and it's a 6% markup. And I end up talking to him and trusting him just as much as this guy over here. I would be a moron as a consumer if I spent two extra points on this purchase because for, for another guy that I could trust down the street. Shopping, you shop for, for huge retail purchases. You shop for your home. I mean, do you only talk to one real estate agent before you go buy a house? If you did, you're stupid. So... In, in large consumer purchases, important consumer purchases, and purchases that take trust and advocacy and, and, all, and experience and all these things that are important to an independent insurance agent, right? That, that, that these are the value proposition of independent. Consumers still shop all these other people. So why should they not shop their insurance agent? They would be stupid if they didn't. So I think that to, to take the idea of a shopper and put them in a bucket as, we don't want people who shop, is you saying, I'm so egotistical, I'm so driven by my own self-worth that I don't want anybody who's going to question what I have to say. And that's a huge, huge problem. I think the other, the other part of that concern about shopping is, is the function of it takes more effort to sell somebody that's in that quote unquote shopping phase, right? And we know insurance agents get paid when they close deals, 
They don't get paid for the activity of trying to close a deal. And so it's natural, it's human behavior to want to spend your effort where you've got the most opportunity. So I understand that concept. However, I think if if you try to get to that spot before the customer is ready to buy, you're missing out on so many opportunities. It's it's like your guy in the Northwest, Ryan, who says he his customers don't go online. That study we referenced, the Pew Research study, said 13% of Americans don't go online. Okay, well that guy's that maybe that guy's market. He wants to target that 13%. More power to him, right? Yeah. If you don't if you don't want to talk to customers who are in the shopping mode, that's your decision. What I would tell you is you are probably, this goes back to our our talk, uh, I don't know if it was our last episode or the one before that, on overburden, right? There is some work you've got to do in this new economy in order to write business. Yeah, so I'm not saying that, and and neither is Marty for that that matter. I'm not saying that, that every deal is gonna be tough. I'm also not saying that after somebody works with you and develops that trust, that they're still going to continue to be a shopper because the jeweler, and this is this is the jeweler that I actually chose to purchase my wife's engagement ring, he is now the exclusive person that I use for any piece of jewelry I'm going to buy for her or anyone else. I mean, not that I'm buying jewelry really for anyone else, but um, I now only go to him. His name's David Unique Jewelers in the 20 Mall in Gilderland, New York, if you live in the 518. So... He's fantastic. I trust him. His prices are great, but I shopped him and now he has my business. But I think the issue is what I think what agents think is because someone is shopping now that that means they'll never want a relationship and then will always be a shopper and they'll lose that person. And I think this is the this is where the opportunity if you look at a shopper as an opportunity as someone who you can then convince that you are the best option and there's no reason to further shop, you can stop them from shopping again. But you have to be good, you have to be willing to put in the work. I mean, all the things that make you great. If your product isn't good, if you are just a kind of churn and burn, bring them in with a smile and then never talk to them again kind of agent, um, which I know everyone listening to the Agency Nation radio podcast is not, but if you were, then you would lose them. They would keep shopping because you hadn't wowed them. But if you wow them and you do what what agents do best, right? Independent agents sell relationships. That's what they do. That's that's their bread and butter. We are really, really good at that. And if you do that, you can turn shoppers into non-shoppers very quickly. But to just disregard all shoppers as, as like, like almost like some sort of birth defect that that person is just going to be that way forever is, I, I think, is also misstating the case. I think... Um, you can make someone feel comfortable and secure in your work with them and take the burden of shopping off of them, at least for this product. I want to drill down on, on the very tail end of the article and something that I found very interesting. And that is um, Seth talks about how there are some very interesting startups that are trying to take shopping out of the equation. And they're, what they're trying to do is they're, is they're taking the need to purchase and turning it into what I'll call a utility, something that's just there and done for you all the time, okay? And he talks about uh, the one I'm most familiar with, obviously, as a guy. 
Uh, you see it pretty much every weekend during the sports shows, the Dollar Shave Club. We don't need to go out and purchase highly expensive razors every month because if you sign up with us, we will deliver those products or you sign up with them, Dollar Shave Club, they will send those razors to you on a regularly scheduled. So you don't even have to think about it. Check that one off your list for the rest of your life. It's done. So my question is, is there, is there somebody out there in the wings that's trying to figure out how to create insurance as a utility that just automatically renews at the lowest possible price every time your policy comes up for renewal? Interesting idea. Yeah, it's an, it's an incredibly interesting idea. And I think that it's something we need to we need to keep our eye on. I, I think a lot of, you know, there's automatic renewals and renewals of insurance policies, especially on personal lines, have been around uh, for a while. I don't know that, I don't know that technology is going to do that because it, it, it kind of is already in place, right? The policies automatically renew today on the personal line side, for the most part, at least most companies do. I think the idea is how do you use technology, automation, old school relationship building tactics and offline stuff. How do you create a package around the idea of customer experience that turns, that, that does that same thing that Dollar Shave Club does, right? Like you're a shaving shopper, you're a shaving shopper, you're a shaving shopper, and then they create a customer experience which makes, that, that triggers something in your mind that goes, I don't have to shop for shaving stuff anymore. That's done. I trust the Dollar Shave Club razors. They come in the mail. I'm never, I never need one. They're always sharp. They're a price I'm willing to pay. Toast. I can go shop for something else. That's the concept that I think we're missing is, I, I don't think that there's a technology thing, but there is definitely, because it, you know, it, it, it automatically, it already happens really today. I mean, you buy a, a traveler's auto policy today. I mean, it's automatically renewing. But what you need to do, what we need to do as agents and as an industry as a whole is think about the customer experience so that people feel comfortable with that process, not constantly questioning that process. And I think that's, that's still to come. And, and that's where I think the new upstart disruptor can have a real impact in what we're doing. And, um, and so let's talk about one of those, Marty. That's a that's a very good transition. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not. I'm assuming you did. Uh, but we... Our, uh, our third topic we wanted to talk about today revolves around a new upstart technology company uh, who's coming into the industry and saying, hey, industry that's been around for 100 plus years, you don't know what the hell you're doing. We are going to do it better. And we've heard this story many, many times, but I think it's interesting to talk about these technologies because if people weren't seeing opportunity, they wouldn't be moving into the space, right? a lot of money is getting thrown into our industry, not at agents, right? There's no agencies that have VC companies coming up to them and going, hey, small local independent insurance agency, yours runs so well, here's 15 million, go scale your business, right? Like that's not happening unless you're Insurion online only agency or your CoverHound online only agency. You know, this is really where people want to spend their money. So a new company called Lemonade, has just formed, just got 13 million in a round of venture capital from Sequoia Capital, which is a well-known VC company. And they have a peer-to-peer -peer insurance model. 
Uh, Marty, why don't you take us through what, what does peer-to-peer mean and, uh, and what is this company all about? Well, before we get into the details of that, I sort of want to, they came up with the name Lemonade because they want, in their, in their words, to take the lemons that consumers have in dealing with insurance and turn that into lemonade. They believe that most consumers, and, and, and I think this is, this is sort of a, a tough message to hear, but it's probably pretty close to being accurate. They believe that most insureds believe that insurance is a necessary evil. That, I think, is a wake-up call. Because as much as we know that what we do greases the wheels of commerce without, you know, I'm, a, I'm an insurance guy through and through, and I, I truly believe that what we do in an unheralded way is one of the most amazing things for American commerce, that worldwide commerce, that uh, can happen. And that is purely because we allow people to risk capital with the assurance that should the worst happen, they get they get reimbursed for it. That is the beautiful part, right? The problem is that's not the message that most people see. And so what Lemonade is trying to do is they're trying to say, we're going to upend everything that the consumer has learned erroneously or otherwise about insurance, and we're going to change it, change the model. And they're being a little cagey about exactly how they're going to do it. You know, Ryan, we've in the past, we've talked many times about how people come in and we've seen them throughout history have come in assuming that they've got a better mousetrap and that they are going to, quote unquote, revolutionize the industry, right? 10, 15 years ago, everybody was going to disintermediate the uh, agent, right? We're going to, everything's going to be direct to the carrier. Well, a lot of people don't talk in that language anymore because they found out that, hey, the agent has a very valuable role to play in the equation. So one of the challenges is that the two entrepreneurs that started off Lemonade, it, they don't come from the insurance business. So real easy to, to uh, come from an Ivy League school or a startup where you get people to do work for $5. One of them was the founder of Fiverr. And think that your great idea is going to revolutionize a half a trillion dollar business in the United States. Without them delivering a lot of details, they believe that the way to do that is that the claims paying process is where the insurance company has it back. Because if a if an insurance company denies a claim, that's a profit center for the insurance company. So a number of years back, uh, one of the big uh, blue chip consulting companies, I don't remember if it was Gartner or McKinsey, one of them went out and I think they did the work originally for Allstate. They did this research and they, they identified the fact that the easiest way for Allstate to increase their uh, profitability was to, to pay fewer claims. And unfortunately, that practice has become more pervasive in the industry. So what Lemonade is trying to do is crowdsource or peer-to-peer insurance. Now, I'm not exactly sure. They haven't told us how it's going to work, but I could see something wherein anybody who wanted to, 
to uh, join Lemonade for car insurance. We'll take that one's pretty straightforward. Uh, everybody kicks in a $500 deposit. That would be part of the claims reserve. And then we pay the going rates. Maybe we just, you know, we, we come up, we, we mirror somebody's rates in the, and, and in the event that claims are less than predicted, people get some of their premiums back. You know, they call that a mutual insurance company. That kind of goes back to my history. I don't know. Yeah, I, what I don't understand about this, so let me cut it. So, so yeah, so, so this is the thing that I don't understand about this. Like, this is a mutual insurance company. This is a uh, self-funded retention group. I mean, this this idea, one, is not new. Two, th- here's, here's the thing that bothers me about this. <clears throat> uh, listen to this quote. We are building an insurance company fully vertically integrated from the ground up to rethink some of the building blocks of the industry. Bullshit. Uh, it is very unusual for a company to receive $13 million in initial round of funding, said Haim Sager, partner at Sequoia Capital, in a statement. But it is rarer still to find an accomplished founders tackling such a sizable industry. We're betting Lemonade will transform the insurance landscape beyond recognition. Bullshit. It's like... It, this is this is what bothers me. This is it's not marketing a, speak in the worst sense of the yes, word. Yes, and this is not a new idea. Like the whole idea is people get together and pool their resources to pay claims. Here's the things that they're not saying, because when it comes to this, I I personally do not think that the insurance carriers have it wrong when it comes to how you handle underwriting and the actuarial process. I think that it's ludicrous to think that because you call something peer-to-peer, that it is somehow different than a standard mutual insurance company. And when I see opportunities, um, where those opportunities exist to me is maybe in, you know, in, in payment processing, in, in terms of take, removing cost, are there ways that you could build technology around the claims filing process where you could remove time, effort, uh, overhead costs of uh, going out and examining you know, I, and I, listen, I don't have all the answers to this. I'm not building a company around it. I'm just saying to think that somehow because it's you call it peer-to-peer that it's any different than how the insurance industry operates today. And, and here's my question to them. Okay, it's peer-to-peer. So Johnny Peer decides that he's just going to start rubbing cars and getting money back, right? Like who is, who? you know, and what happens when Johnny takes you know, $100,000 out of the pool and Sally only takes $5 out of the pool. Do you, does Johnny now pay more? Because that then sounds like a regular insurance company to me. Is it just that they're not doing risk pool underwriting? Are they doing individual underwriting? Okay, I can understand that, but that sounds a lot like what Progressive is doing with uh, Snapshot or whatever they're calling it now. Um, to get down into the individual, the human underwriting factors, right? Like a one-to-one underwriting. Uh, I just, you know, I I find this interesting. I like the, I think it's cool. I'm happy that some company with billions of dollars was willing to throw 13 million at them, good for them. But there is nothing in here besides someone thinking that they are smarter than the insurance marketing space or the insurance space um, that's also better at marketing. Another thing is, they come from, so here's it. One of the founders is from a peer-to-peer payment system in the UK. And from our work with Google Compare, what we found is that when executives from the 
uh, EU from from Europe come over to America and try to apply European principles of an, of the insurance marketplace over there to here, um, they don't work. And I just question whether this is a lot of smoke and mirrors, and or if it's something that's uh, really has legs. The the other the other critical issue for our industry, um, not not exclusively to this, but specifically to startups that are trying to become insurers, is the ultimate goal of state regulation is to protect policyholders. And in the event that a carrier doesn't operate appropriately and goes into receivership, who ends up paying the claims for that failed idea? It's all of the other policyholders in the state, right? <laughs> because it goes back to the guarantee fund. And so, or... Uh, so anyway, dude, you know some of the saying. comments in this TechCrunch article are just classic. It's everything that we're saying. So uh, some guy named Nicholas uh, comments, insurance don't make money on moral hazard. They lose it. Uh, basically what we just said about Johnny running up a hundred thousand dollar claim bill and Sally only, you know, 500 um, or whatever, five uh, hundred thousand versus five thousand uh, insurance is already pool based. That's 300 year old math. Awesome. Uh, another guy says, a guy named Jay says, these guys are going to die in regulatory hell. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, I think this is cool. So he, here, here's, here's the crux of this thing. The independent insurance industry are terrible marketers. The carriers are terrible marketers. The agents are terrible marketers. As a broad sweeping stroke, there are examples of great, great marketers. But they are today exceptions to the rule, right? The great marketers in our industry are the exceptions to the rule. And it's guys like this who look at our industry and go, all we need to do is come up with a semi-different feeling opportunity, package it in terms like peer-to-peer, -peer, and we can out-market the independent insurance industry. And that is why these things are popping up. If we were good at marketing our business, this wouldn't even be a thing. I firmly believe that. This comes down to the fact that we're terrible marketers, and we have to own that. We have to own that because it's not just us, right? Your agency may be incredible at marketing, and it probably is. If you're spending time listening to this podcast, you care about marketing, you think about it, you think about sales, you think about running your agency better, and that's why you listen to this show. And, and, and Marty and I appreciate that so much, right? So a lot of times we're not even talking to you. We're talking to the greater industry. But it's all our peers impact us, from this scale, right? Like this guy isn't looking at Jones Insurance in Wichita, Kansas and saying, wow, you know, they're really great marketers. I don't know if we're gonna be able to get into this space. They're looking out over the landscape of independent insurance, uh, the landscape of the independent insurance industry and saying, we can outmarket them. Let's come up with a cool swing and we're gonna build a product that sounds different and sounds cool and just outmarket them and build in some market share. And that's what these companies are trying to do. There's nothing different about this. Um, and once, once they actually start getting in the business of insurance and whatever state they're in, God forbid they're in New York state, the regulators are going to turn them into either a standard insurance company or nothing. So I'd like, I'd like to call an audible right now. So you're just going to have to roll with me. Okay. Because as fraught with difficulty and sort of unknowns and craziness 
as lemonade, maybe. We don't know. They haven't shared enough information for us to really to understand. I mean, they may have a radically great idea. We're just skeptical, okay? Some news popped out yesterday that uh, is extraordinarily timely and I think probably uh, carries a little more weight than this one. Yesterday, AM Bests announced that Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company received an yeah. A plus plus rating. It's a brand. It's a brand new company, and they are going to sell commercial lines insurance online. Yeah, direct. They're starting with workers' comp and with Bob. Just right. so those, just so if anyone uh, who's listening doesn't understand what Marty just said, the company that owns Geico is now going after the commercial line space. So, exactly. So, uh, if anybody thinks that Warren Buffett, who owns Geico and owns Berkshire Hathaway, makes short-term bets and makes unfunded bets, they haven't been paying attention. This. This one has the potential to really be revolutionary. I, I mean, I, I'm 100% with you. Um, this is actually uh, an entire episode I want to go into this. Uh, so I think in a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save some of my comments. We're at about uh, a little over 30 minutes now on this episode. Uh, I think it's good to make uh, acknowledge that this happened here. But um, I want to take almost a full episode and talk about this because it's really, really interesting. And really scary and should be. I mean, think about what Geico did. It took them a decade, but think about what they did to our industry. And uh, they're going to do the same exact thing to uh, commercial line space. And if you don't think that's true, uh, you're in big, big trouble. Uh, they are going to have a drastic impact in how uh, commercial lines, especially uh, to start small commercial lines, is sold. And we need to be prepared for it. And it doesn't mean we can't win. It doesn't mean they'll obliterate our industry that's not what i'm saying i'm saying we have to adjust how we do business and and act accordingly and uh, and be prepared for it it's a battle it's a battle and uh we got to be ready to play so uh, marty i want to wrap up there i think this has been a great episode we've talked about a lot of different stuff and i think we're in a good space so i want to thank everyone for listening again this is episode number 16 agencynation.com forward slash 16 if you are uh, agencynation.com forward slash podcast Episode number 16, uh, uh, once you get to agencynation.com forward slash podcast. And uh, all the links will be there. If you haven't yet, would love a rating and review on iTunes if you're listening there or Stitcher or whatever app you listen on. And if you haven't subscribed to Agency Nation newsletter, it is the best insurance industry newsletter ever written in the history of the world. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Subscribe today. Marty, any party shots? I think we're out of here. Let's do it.